Good morning and God bless TGIF. I'm Dominique Duprima. This show is called First Things First, my first thing today and every day, giving thanks, giving praises, asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessings of the ancestors and the elders. And let's go, let's go, let's go. TGIF, and it is packed from wall to wall today. We got so much going on, and I love that. Of course, you're invited into every minute of it at 800 920 1580. 800-920-1580. It's election season, so things are a little different than we typically do them. Our 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 one is is you know left coast local. We are sticking to that, but we uh, have a special guest in studio. Hour two, we go national, international, and beyond. But of course, it's Friday, so it'll be Friedman Fridays, and. Um, in Cobra's Cam Howard will be joining us for that conversation. You're welcome in on the phones, 800-920-1580. You are welcome in in the chat, um, which is on YouTube, uh, youtube.com. And then you got to put KBLA 1580. And uh, we have a very, very special guest today, Um you know, I've, I've been encouraging you, and I will continue to encourage you to call and respond and whatnot um, in hour one to whatever you hear on Friedman Fridays. However, um, today we have a special guest, and so we're going to, you know, have a little musical interlude like we did yesterday. It's Sometimes it's nice to have a break from the election. I'm not going to call it stress because you're not running, right? I'm not running. The election... Uh, day to day, right? Because it is a lot. So we're going to do a um, do a bit of a dive today on this second day of Black History Month um, into some musical history, musical living, uh, jazz, um, and so much more. Daime Arosena is joining us in studio. So yay, what a week around here. But look, I am um, now moving into election space right away today. Um, as you know, there's a lot going on. We'll be talking about that later. Dr. Gerald Horn is going to be signing books uh, tomorrow. We've got a special Rosa Parks event. Pan-African Film Festival is kicking off. There's a lot going on. But right now, it is um, time to think about March 5th or February 5th, if your ballot comes then. In the studio with me live is a candidate for uh, Assembly District 57. Uh, she says her stories not unlike many other immigrant stories across Los Angeles. She was born in Mexico, and at a very young age, her parents brought her to the U.S. for a chance at a better life. She spent her childhood, she says, cleaning mansions with her mom, who was a housekeeper. Her father worked in construction. I guess we'll hear more of her story for her as an openly bi-Latina immigrant, she says she knows firsthand what we need to achieve full lived equality for women, for immigrants, LGBTQ plus people and communities of color. Dulce Vasquez, welcome. Thank you for having me. So you are running for the 57th, which is a semi-crowded, um, semi-crowded race. This is a seat that you guys may remember is currently occupied by Reggie Jones Sawyer. Why, why uh, the decision running for huh, any elected office, but you know, especially here in California, it's a big commitment. Actually, um, I have I have Reggie to blame himself. Um, it, it is a big decision, and um, I, I don't know if you know that I ran for Los Angeles City Council in 2022. 
Uh, so I was coming off a very bruising battle. I was coming off of a very difficult, sort of stressful time running a really massive campaign during COVID. Um, and Reggie approached me and he called me up and he said, hey, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, someone that's elected to this seat is of good moral compass and can carry on the work that I'm doing in Sacramento. Um, would you consider running? And my very, very first response was, absolutely not. Why, why would I want to do this to myself uh, again? And, um, you know, I, I went back and I talked to family and, and friends and previous supporters and sort of the things that I had been very, very passionate about during the city council race, the issues of housing, the issues of equity, the issues of poverty, and how I might be able to affect those in a bigger level at the state level. Um, and after about four months after his asking, I committed. Mm. So, um, you know, you mentioned the big the big items everyone's talking about, right? Especially those of us on the West Coast, one of them housing. Um, what can you do from the assembly uh, I know, I'm sure that's probably part of what drove you to run for yeah. city council, but what can you do from the assembly yeah. uh, to impact that? So, you know, part of the issues that I saw at the city level, right, and, and they've been very public around corruption, um, particularly like developer interests and corruption and how you get things passed, right? It seems very, um, not just difficult, right? It seems... Um, like the process is screwed up, right? That there's no, you know, here's a checklist and here's how you're going to get your project approved, right? It takes years. So at the at the state level, it, it's both two things, right? First off, it's how do we zone, up zone? Because I think what is plaguing California, what we haven't been able to do for such, for decades now is build more housing, right? We have not kept up with our population growth and that takes multifamily units, that takes townhomes, that takes different methods of housing, and we're just not doing it at the city level. So I think the state has done, you know, as best job as they can to pass legislation like SB9, SB10 to really allow for the upzoning of our cities. And it's not just a Los Angeles problem, it's it's across the, across the state. Um, so I've uh, in the time uh, after the city council race, you know, I joined the board of Abundant Housing Los Angeles. I joined a statewide coalition of nonprofits. We meet um, we meet monthly around what other legislation um, we really pushed forward a Senator Caballero bill uh, last year around increasing um, access to home ownership in smaller lots. So so stuff like that that I think the state can really hone in on. And I mean, that's always tricky, too, because it, you know, the, you have another version of nimbyism, which mm -hmm. is no density over here. Yeah. Um, and the challenges of, you know, people that have neighborhoods with single family homes that mm -hmm. don't want giant apartment buildings built um, right next to them. Um, but we like, as you point out, we are literally tens of thousands of units behind what we need to be Absolutely. building, right? Mm -hmm. It almost seems like I hear everyone saying, well, I'm going to do this about housing and I'm going to do this about, you know, um, public safety. And 
I'm going to do this about education. And it's almost like they're on the campaign trail waving a magic wand. And you're like, after a while, my eyes glaze over and I'm like, okay, what you said is what we all want. Mm -hmm. But how do you get there? One thing at a time, right? So, um, you know, after the city council race, I'm like, what one thing can I affect, right? And, And living in my community, I live in a single family home neighborhood. Um, but I saw the alleyways, right? They're, they're a nuisance. They have been since the city locked them up in the 90s. Um, how do we use this land, right, that right now is oftentimes blighted, oftentimes uh, overgrown, or, you know, there's legal dumping in them? Um, so I brought in a couple of different organizations to study, you know, how we might be able to implement um, lot splits by activating alleyways, right? So that's a research project that I'm working on with a couple of organizations. And that could solve for, you know, a lot of people, there, there's a lot of displacement happening that people that own their homes even can't afford taxes or repairs on them. So how do we help them utilize their property without being displaced to either build an ADU or sell the back part of their property that does not affect, you know, the street views, you know, the very traditional craftsman style street views um, from the, you know, street level, um, but actually helps and creates a type of density that um, sort of counters that NIMBY narrative. Mm. And uh, yeah, so you're talking about adding units, some kind of units like a, like the little, uh, what they call ADUs now, in-law residencies or tiny houses right. in along those alleyways. Yeah. Yes. And what has been the response to that? We're, we're currently, we hired a grad student researcher because there are so many municipal and state policies, right, that need to change. We need to think about mail delivery. We need to think about sanitation. We need to think about, um, you know, if you actually do split the lot and sell the lot to make sure that the front property of the original owner is not reassessed for tax purposes, right, because we have Prop 13 implemented and their tax base is at a certain level. Um, So there are all these things to think about before we even try to propose legislation. Um, You know, I'm thinking that there are, in the way that the city has already pre-approved some type of ADU styles, how do we do something that's even bigger, right? Something that might be two stories or three stories. People complain about parking all the time that might already have a garage built in the bottom level, more of like a townhome style. Mm-hmm. So it's really studying right now. It's really studying right now. We're talking with Dulce Vasquez. She wants your vote for the 57th Assembly District. We do have a lot to talk about. When we come forward, let's uh, look a little bit deeper at your story and how it informs your politics, what you are doing right now, and uh, how it gets you to where you need to be to be ready on day one to be an Assembly member uh, in a statewide office. You're talking about, uh, we're talking about election. Yeah, it's here. It's right now. Get ready. KBLA is here for you. KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. Ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominic DePrima right now. Right now. Right now. We are getting to know the candidates that want your vote on. Um, well, whenever your vote, whenever your ballot comes in, I think the mail-in ballots are due next week. The actual final day to vote will be March 5th, which is Election Day. 
And Dulce Vasquez is with me in the studio. You can go to KBLA 1580's uh, YouTube and see us. Uh, you, you, say, you say your story is not um, unlike a lot of other immigrants here in Los Angeles. Um, it, you know, meeting you right now, it feels like it might be because you're running for state assembly. <laughs> but um, you said you grew up cleaning houses with your mom. Yes. So, I mean, tell me how that informs your perspective on everything. Literally everything. I I mean, when I was, I came to the U.S. when I was seven. Um, For about a year, my mom was a nanny. Um, And then when my brother came about a year later, she switched to full-time cleaning houses to have like flexibility in her schedule. And she would take me along with her, right? She would on days off or on weekends, if she had a home to do, I would go in there and she'd give me the air quotes, easy tasks of vacuuming or, um, you know, cleaning the windows. And I would see these ginormous houses that I had only seen on telenovelas, right? In Mexico, like these things just don't exist. Well, at least in in my world, they did not exist. And just wondering what kind of jobs people had or what kind, how you get there. And then growing up and, and, and seeing how unattainable it is, right? You can work all the time. You can work multiple jobs. And throughout high school, I did work multiple jobs just to help my parents make ends meet, get through college, you know, get to do the experiences that were presented in front of me. And now, you know, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles where you have that massive wealth inequality, right? You have these like $38 million homes in Bel Air and Beverly Hills, and you have people working three jobs, struggling to make rent and a rent that increases every year on a property that's continually dilapidated, right? Like, why do they continue to charge more for things that are losing their value, right? This should be like a car. Um, So that impacts me. Um, You know, my dad uh, first was a dairy farm worker, and then the dairy farm was sold, and he became a construction worker. You work out of necessity. That's what's available. And in construction, too, you know, seeing, um, you know, not only my undocumented immigrant experience, but also watching the experiences of people that he worked with, you know, seeing raids and seeing families get separated. You know, my own family, my uncle was detained for for months at a detention center and then finally deported. All of those things shape and all of those things I see in this community when I talk to people. I see the struggle. I see um, how hard it is, how groceries continue to get expensive, more expensive and unaffordable. And all of that, you know, are things that I've experienced and and things that we can legislate ourselves out of. What do you mean by we can legislate ourselves out? Well, I think I think poverty is a is a policy. We've created, um, you know, we talked about housing earlier we have decided not to build housing for years and years and years. And now we are at this point, right? We have immigrants, right? That um, we've built a, we've decided to build a financial system that inherently excludes people and not just immigrants, right? We credit checks, right? We, we need that for an apartment. Um, That means that if a 
property owner doesn't do a credit check because immigrants don't have credit, right? You are subject. That is a, that is a bad relationship that you're establishing. All of these things were created by policy. So how do we how do we change it? How do we start to change all of the inequitable policies that have existed for a hundred years? Right, redlining was a policy. How do we change that? How do we start to correct the errors of our predecessors? You know, I'm sure that there. Just I'm sure because I know the conversation we have on this radio station and I'm aware of the conversations that go on about this radio station and, and about these topics um, in places like X, uh, Twitter uh, and the like. And I know what the national um, sort of, you know, the pitch, the national pitch of the conversation around immigration is right now. Um, But let's look at it, not from the necessarily government, perspective, but from uh, black Americans perspective, Um, there is a a perception among some, or I'll say, you know, it could be even widespread that um, immigrants feel they should come here and jump over, step over African American families that have been here for generations that have built this country that were enslaved here and continue to be discriminated against. um, And you know, some may perceive that, okay, this seat is Reggie Jones-Sawyer. He's an African-American. Now here you are, you're, you know, Mexican-American mm-hmm. immigrant. Um, why should you jump over, jump the line, I guess? Or how do you see that? Who created the line? <laughs> um, you know, I, I wouldn't be here if Reggie hadn't asked me to run. If If Reggie trusts that I can carry on his legacy, if Reggie trusts that I have the moral compass to make right and equitable choices for the black community, for the Latino community, for the growing AAPI community in this district, for everyone, then that gives me the confidence to know that I can make the right choices for all of the residents of the assembly district. I mean, who created the line is a fair question, but it's also a fair, um, it, it's, I think it's a little um, dismissive of the fact that, you know, African-Americans, um, line or no line, <laughs> we always seem to get uh, to be the bottom of the caste strata in this country. And so I, I do think it's, it's, you know, especially given the anti-blackness, <clears throat> you've been in City Hall, you wanted you actually wanted to work there full-time as a council member. And anti-blackness has plagued our politics in Los Angeles. So I think um, th- maybe that's part two to the question is like, how would you address that as, a, as an immigrant, as a Latina, where people are going to say, you know, how, how do I know you will prioritize our issues? How do I know that you won't you know, foster more of the anti-blackness that we heard Nuri Martinez and, uh, you know, uh, and others and Kevin DeLeon partaking in. Um, I mean, it's, it's a problem at city hall. No, quiet as kept. It's a problem at city hall. And, and, and I will clarify, I've never worked in city hall. Right. Uh, I'm, um, you know, not necessarily an outsider. No, right, right, right. right. Um, but I've never 
worked at City Hall. I've never staffed an elected official. I've... <laughs> <laughs> Why, why do you laugh? Yeah, it's just a big job. It, 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 <laughs> and, and, I mean, it, yeah, it looks like a massive job. Um, but um, no, I, I think it's a I think it's a serious issue. Um, I think there's the racism part of the the conversations. I was disgusted by what I heard, but I was not surprised by what I heard. Right? I think sometimes, you know, people's ego and desire for more and more and more is ugly, right? It it gets the the best of them. And I'm not going to sit here and say that there isn't anti-Black sentiment in the Latino community. I think you just made the point, too, that there's sometimes anti-Latino resentment amongst the Black community. And we have to be open and talk about it. And I think that there's the work that people in your generation have laid down for us has really broken open the opportunity for our generation and younger to really examine and delve into it and talk about it and make sure that we're having those conversations in our dining room table. I've had those conversations within my own family of colorism and anti-blackness and colonialism. And, and a lot of it just comes from you know this learned white supremacy and white is best. Yeah. We're going to pick this up after news, traffic, and sports. It's an important conversation. We're talking with Dulce Vasquez on KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. All right. We're talking with uh, Dulce Vasquez. And it's so funny, you know, you read the bios, you got to read between the lines. What are you really saying? Um, but one thing that you can solidly say uh, is that you are an educator. Yes. That you've spent your life in education. Um, you mentioned you've been you've been endorsed by former Mayor Antonio Villaragosa, who found a way to make education a citywide issue, but it's really a state issue. It is a state so issue. So what is it that you would hope to accomplish in that space should you be elected yeah. to the 57th district? Um, so I currently work in higher education. Um, I do work for Arizona State University um, over the course of my working there managing California, the California market. Um, we've acquired two buildings in downtown Los Angeles, uh, which I work in, um, the Herald Examiner Historic you know, Journalism Enterprise uh, in downtown LA, and then recently FITM, the Fashion Institute. Um, and in that time of helping ASU come into the California market, I've seen many different things. One, a tremendous need for more higher education institutions. And that is because we need more spots. We've got roughly 5 million Californians that started college and never finished. So um, we also have the UCs, you know, they have record high acceptance uh, numbers, right? But also record high rejections. Mm. So how do you how do you balance for that? How do you do that when you're also landlocked, right? We, we It's hard the last time a UC campus was built. Merced, it took 20 plus years to build, right? And then you have um, people like Mayor London Breed requesting that the UC system build an, uh, another campus in downtown San Francisco. Um, so there's tremendous need. So taking that into Sacramento and saying, we need more. 
With that, we also need more funding. We need to be able to fund Cal Grants、um, at a higher level, and I think the way that we have structured the Cal Grant system oftentimes give less money to the students. Sometimes most in need. So our tiered system of what amount of money CSU students or community college students need. That system was built with an assumption that most of those students are commuter students, right? In air quotes, that they live at home, right? That they have their rent paid for, that they have food available. Well, that's just not the case in 2024. We have the largest population of unhoused students attending our CSU and community college systems. So we also need to strategize about how we build more student housing for that type of population of students. Now you start dipping into the K through 12 system or even the TK system that we want to fund to make sure that、um, students have that. Um, students and parents, right, for going into the system earlier, because we know that those early、uh, literacy rates, right, are affected by when you start getting into uh, schooling. Um, we have a volatile way of funding our education system, right? It's all tied to revenues for the state, which is tied to the market and private incomes. How do we stabilize that, and how do we grow that? Um, so these are all things that I'm bringing into Sacramento, having worked in education for this long.、Mm. Speaking of、uh, Sacramento and the will to do things,、um, and and specifically Reggie Jones Sawyer's seat, he was on the reparations task force.、Mm-hmm. They've now wrapped. They've given their recommendations. There's a package that's been put forth, at least the first steps of that by uh, the Black uh, Caucus, mm-hmm. uh, Congressional Black Caucus here. In the state of California, legislative Black Caucus, I mean to say,、um, where are you on reparations?、Um, I'm so two years to put that report together. I think the recommendations were. A lot of them were attainable.、Um, you know, I think the legislative Black Caucus bringing forth the package、uh, of legislation this year, including obviously an, an apology from the state. That should be a given. I think some of the more specific ones,、um, like tuition, right,、uh, full、um, full wages for people that are incarcerated, you know, not having them do either forced labor or pay them under market rate. I think all of those are good. I'm I have I'm not quite there yet on cash reparations, and I don't think the legislative Black Hawk is there. Is is There on cash reparations yet, because again of that, where are we going to get the money for, from, and that budget volatility that we're experiencing? So when you say you're not quite there yet on cash payments, if we were flush with money, you wouldn't have a problem with. It's a philosophical pro. Is it a philosophical issue or is it a budget issue? Because, I mean, when you think of twelve generations of Black folks working without pay to build this country, the money is here. It's in. The buildings, it's in the land, it's in it's in the fact that we're a superpower, you know. That's based on you know my ancestors' free free labor. <laughs> I am both, both right. The budget thing is easy to sort of fall back on and be like, we don't have the money for it, right? I think philosophically, you're you're absolutely right that the way that we've got to 2024 was built on the backs of slave labor. How that then is. Implemented, right? Is it going to be two thousand dollars? Well, that's barely a month's rent, right? How do we make? What is that number? And how do we actually do something that can help 
impact someone past, you know, a month's rent or two months rent, whatever it is. Um, you said before we before we went to news, traffic, and sports, you were talking about, you know, some tough conversations, even within your own family. And I know part of what happened in the room at City Hall was also anti-Indigenous sentiment oh, yes. and the kind of shadism, mm -hmm. um, classism, but really shadism and anti-First Nations um, mm -hmm. vibe or strain that runs through the Latin American communities, I say communities, because it's not one country. Right. That's There's no Hispania. It's all these different countries. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, and, and you know, how you see that. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional because I think of that. There were so many ugly things that were said in that conversation. But the anti-Indigenous, literally like very dismissive they're ugly was so hurtful to there were so many parts that were hurtful right but but to me I think that part is the part that just really lost it for me because coming from from Mexico and, and understanding the culture and the contributions and you know oftentimes the way that we you know again dismiss uh, low-wage labor and, and dismiss um, difference, right? We have this, um, people have this sort of like, I, thank you. Um, I, I think it's, it's disgusting. And I, and I, and I value the people um, like Cielo is an organization here in Los Angeles that has done incredible work for the indigenous community and, um, and and yeah, I I, I just I'm I'm so hurt by it. Yeah, I mean it's really it's personal. Is do you? It sounds like you identify with the indigenous community in that conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm not someone who grew up in an indigenous community, but you know, my my melanin speaks for itself that I am of mixed Mexican heritage, and and I embrace. You know, I I, I wear. You know, traditional Mexican. I try to incorporate traditional Mexican clothing and styles into to modern. I'm very into fashion, um, in, into uh, modern designs, and um, and and I think that it was just a, a disgusting display. Yeah, I think when you talk about, um, you know, that that shadism or anti-indigenousness mm -hmm. in in Latin America. You know, uh, I'm African American. People mix me up with other people or whatever. I'm African American, but I'm pretty bilingual. And sometimes, and one of the ways I learned was watching, you know, novellas and stuff. And you would think everybody in Mexico was blonde and blue eyed. <laughs> you watch Mexican TV. It's like, hey, where are the Mexicans? Oh, I mean, not, not to say a Mexican ha person right. has to look a certain way, but it's very similar and, to and what, I, you know, the shadism here. I, I grew up watching that, right? I grew up um, that that is what is presented to you that the the model of wealth and success is white and and you continue to see that in Mexican television today yeah um so we got man we got a lot to talk about we're going to squeeze it all in you said um your generation oh, <laughs> okay you that was an error you said your ge our generation has set things up for your generation what generation would are you I am a millennial millennial okay yes. 
And what does that, I mean, what does that mean in terms of going, I don't know how many millennials there are in the assembly, but is, does, is that important? It's a growing population. I know, I know, uh, assembly member Brian Uh is, is a millennial. I don't know about the rest of them, but. Alex Lee. Mm -hmm. So I think identifies as. Is that important? Or, and if so, why? Absolutely. I, I think, I think age difference within legislative bodies is is hugely impactful right because you have you know so many millennials and gen z struggling with again going back to policy right where uh, we feel that our older generations are like well why you why can't you buy a house why can't you you know get married why what do you mean you can't afford kids those are the things you know i'm i'm turning 38 next week happy b day thank you aquarius um with a uh, what is it? Pis- Pisces moon. So I'm a crier. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, having people that are living through the issues that we're trying to legislate our- ourselves out of, right? The average home price in South Los Angeles right now for an absolute teardown is half a million dollars. What kind of income do you need to have to afford a house that's half a million dollars? The average household income currently in the district is less than $40,000 a year. That is completely unattainable, unaffordable. The same thing with rents, the same thing with child. The the Usually the biggest expense for a household is their housing. It is exceedingly growing to be childcare in this nation. So how the people that are living through it currently, I think are best to start legislating for it. All right, we're talking with Dulce Vasquez. She's running for Assembly District 57 in this upcoming uh, primary election, which will most certainly go to a runoff, but we'll see. Uh, You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. And we're talking with Dulce Vasquez. She's running for assembly seat uh, 57. There's four folks in that race. Um, we've talked to two of the other ones. So we'll see if the other one uh, responds. All have been invited. Um, why should we vote for you? I mean, what? why give us your pitch, your, you know, Dulce Vasquez for Assembly District 57? Yeah. So Dulce Vasquez, I'm, I'm running for Assembly District 57. I believe you should vote for me. I am someone who is progressive, but also very practical. Uh, I, I'm very data driven. I look at the issues. I'm someone who is deeply passionate about my community, about uh, South Los Angeles. Um, I I serve on my neighborhood council and I've seen what people need. I've talked to people uh, door to door and I know what people are struggling with. I feel that experience. I've lived that experience and I feel that I am best equipped to represent them and, and to fight for them in Sacramento. That was that was a boom elevator pitch almost exactly <laughs> uh, thirty seconds. Want to remind our our, our um, KBLA delegation, uh, Friedman Friday is in the second hour of the show, and we'll be talking with um, in Cobra's Cam Howard. So, um, Dulce Vasquez, you you um, t- we talked a little bit about education and what you mm-hmm. want to do. You talked about houselessness. We we spoke on reparations. Um, what do you think? is, you know, I think the next on your list of priorities? Probably, so this is a kind of an interrelated issue, right? I think I see I see housing as sort of the nucleus of lots of maladies that we face, of um, 
you know, obviously houselessness, but then also transportation, climate change, healthcare, right? Housing is at, at the core of that. So I'm very interested in the transportation committee uh, in Sacramento. Um, South Los Angeles, you know, we have a couple of different light rail lines, but we also have some of the largest bus corridors in the state. Uh, Vermont, um, Alameda is one of the highest corridors for obviously like 18 wheelers. Um, we have a large population that does not move around by car. They move around by bicycle and, and by bus. And we need to make sure that we have the funding to keep pedestrians safe, to keep bicyclists safe, to, you know, as, as our world continues to get warmer, that we have proper bus shading for people waiting for the bus, um, that we have, uh, you know, uh, what are they called? The ads, billboards, right, that show you when the next bus is coming, mm. you know, that you see in like Chicago and sometimes New York, um, to make sure that um, people know how long they're waiting for, people who might not have smartphones, who might not have data, um, that, that affects this community very deeply. Okay. Um, do you think programs like, I'm going to circle back to education a little bit because it's such a big uh, job of the state, Absolutely. right? Um, in fact, the state even takes over districts sometimes mm -hmm. when they think they're troubled. Do you think that um, plans like um, what we have here in, in LAUSD, the Black Student Achievement Plan, uh, is something that we could, could and or should replicate? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think, you know, working for, you know, Arizona State University after 2020, we put out 10-step plan, right, and included, um, you know, LAUSD obviously is for K through 12, but I think you have to also expand um, into how that affects other institutions. And then also, you know, carry that even further. We don't have enough black teachers, right, because we don't have enough people going into master's programs for teaching credentials. How do we, those are all issues that are interconnected. How do we help that, right? We want students to see people that look like them in the classroom. Um, how do we help students that have chronic absenteeism, right, instead of punishing them, understanding why it is that they're not being able to get to school. All, all of those things, I, I think those are those are types of programs that we should be replicating up and down the state. Yeah, I think that's kind of a frequent complaint of mine is that when you have a school districts where a huge percentage of the population are in foster care mm -hmm. and a chunk of uh, others are unhoused, mm -hmm. that maybe our business model is no is longer working. meeting the customer base that we currently have for students. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we, we have a few minutes here, um, and I want to make sure you say everything you came here to say. Um, I do want to ask you, though, you, you know, you said um, you see, in your bio, you describe yourself as an openly bi-Latina immigrant, but you're also married. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so break that down. I mean, it, some people might think, okay, well, you know, what, what, that's confusing, maybe. Yeah, what, what bisexuality means, yeah. right? Um, it means I'm attracted to both sexes. I am currently in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship with a man. But if anything were to happen to that, he leaves me or, God forbid, something happens to him, you know, my next relationship might be with a woman. I'm attracted to women. 
so you're just you're basing that on your identity and your life experience um because i'm sure your husband is like yes not anymore not right now she's not well Uh, you know we have we have interesting conversations because i came out while i was married oh wow interesting that is wild that so me wanting to be honest about how i identify right i i for I've been a part of the LGBT community as an ally since I can remember, right? My my two best friends in high school were lesbians and, uh, you know, I supported them in every march and every letter writing to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. Um, and now wanting to live my authentic life, I had to come out to my husband as, as bisexual. Well, that's another show for another day. Couple minutes here. What have we missed? Oh, what what have we missed? Um, you know, I, I love the city. I want to see the city thrive. Um, and I want to make sure that we have thoughtful and, and practical solutions. Oftentimes, we tend to demonize certain sectors, right? You know, I'm coming in here saying that housing is my priority. Sometimes we demonize housing developers. At the end of the day, they also have to build affordable housing. We sometimes demonize the business community. At the end of the day, they are also job creators, right? And any entrepreneur with a small business, that is that that those policies that we create in Sacramento affect how they can succeed, how they can thrive. Um, so, I, you know, I'm in here providing a, a very rational voice, someone that understands, you know, has very progressive values, but understands um, the the implications and, and how things are, uh, different policies are then implemented uh, and how they affect our day-to-day lives. Um, tell us your website, how to track you. DulceVasquez.com, D-U-L-C-E-V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z.com. I am on mostly Instagram. I think X is a, a little too negative for me. So Vasquez Dulce on Instagram. Well, um, thank you for coming in. It's nice talking with you. Nice to meet you in person. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you so much. You can find out more at DulceVasquez.com or Vasquez Dulce on Instagram.